This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. We're here back at the studios. On Tuesday, we um, we have a few guests today. Uh, coming up in a little bit is Roberto Rodriguez, uh, my friend who is operating a Spanish uh, language website, El Potro Roberto, covering horse racing. He he's a friend of mine who I met um, years ago, actually. And he's worked very, very hard at trying to expand racing's um, reach into the Spanish-speaking community, which down here in South Florida is a significant one. He'll be joining us first, and we're going to talk about, um, unfortunately, one of the major topics in society, not just racing, is inclusion, racism, sexism, other kind of not that, um, not fun topics to talk about. But it's hard to ignore the topic considering yesterday there was a um, prominent consigner, person who sells horses, uh, breeder, owner, who was exposed on Facebook making blatantly racist comments. And um, I'll talk to Roberto about that. And we'll talk about um, how racing's inability to be inclusive has affected it negatively and will continue to affect it probably that that effect will be accelerated as we we move into a, a different era of of the world basically and um, there's a lot to talk about this it's not as black and white pardon the pun as it, it seems and racing is a paradox of sorts in that in the grandstand and on the backside, you have a a wide variety of people from different backgrounds, from different countries, from different races. Um, there's there's far more women involved than there was twenty years ago, thirty years ago. But there's still a lot of changes that need to be made, and. We'll talk about about those changes and 
And if racing has the ability to do that, I'm not convinced that it does. At um, Coming up at three, a lighter topic, the opening of Keeneland and their kind of bizarre five-day July meet. Uh, Marty McGee from the Racing Forum will join us to talk about uh, about that meet, which is, um, I mean, it's just weird to be talking about Keeneland this time of the year with Saratoga opening next week and the bluegrass being run this week. Um, Indiana is has got some their big stakes tomorrow on a on a Wednesday. It's a it's a different type of uh, season for sure. And and Marty will join us to talk about um, talk about what what we're looking at at Keeneland and um, who the uh, the players are going to be in some of these stakes. I, I believe there's ten eleven stakes over the five days and the uh, the bluegrass and the Ashland being the the um, the big ones, the anchor stakes, and uh, we'll talk about that and and some things that pertain to Kentucky about the Derby and and um, what's going on at Ellis Park, Kentucky Downs, and how that is going to affect Saratoga negatively. It, it doesn't seem like it, it can't the impact on the Saratoga meet of this Keeneland meet with Churchill. Um, running the Derby on the first week and uh, the first Saturday in September, kind of bookending Saratoga's meet with all the issues of shipping. And it certainly seems like it's going to impact it in a negative fashion, but uh, it also might uh, it might give Kentucky racing a little bit of a boost for their summer season. It's not just uh, not just Ellis Park, but. Um, There's a lot of racing has a lot of problems, and chief among them is the inability to attract investment, whether it be on the owner side or on the player side. This is a topic that we've covered on this podcast network that I've done. It's covered basically on a daily basis on Twitter and, and other social media. But um, the inclusion of racism into the um, into the mix is something that has bubbled underneath the surface for a long time. In that. There are very few um, people that are going to think that they're racist. Even the racist people a lot of times don't think they're racist. But when you look at when you look at the the makeup of the people who hold the power in this industry, it's mostly old white guys. And that doesn't mean that they're all white. They're they're all racist. That that's not true for sure. But one of the reasons that we've kind of stagnated as a business and we are at risk is that the demographics of the country changed over the last thirty or forty years. But racing 
and its focus hasn't really changed. And that's a big issue. It, it's a really big issue. And I thought that um, as opposed to just doing a show on the racial issue, as many other podcasts have done very, very well, Ken Rudolph um, had, had done a, a, a very, very, um, very good work. I mean, he did a podcast that I listened to and about this issue, and certainly he is far more qualified to talk about it than I am. And I know that doing this, doing a podcast is not easy when you're doing it without a guest. And he spent almost an hour, and I, it was fascinating to me because he brought up a lot of salient points and he did it in a, in a, in a way that it made sense and it made you think because you're not seeing things that way. And I didn't want to just do a a podcast like that because I'm really not all that qualified to do one. But there are a lot of other groups that are not being represented properly. And this comes on the heels of Keeneland naming a woman to, um, to run to be the president of Keeneland, which of course, it would be the first time. And I think a lot of people saw progress in that. And a lot of people, I think, are willing to um, whitewash things. They're willing to say, hey, you know, we're trying, we're, we're giving money to scholarships, we're doing this, we're doing that. And this isn't a problem that can be solved. It really can't be. You can't change people, especially older people. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe, maybe you can change. Maybe you can enlighten. Maybe you can get people to see. But but a lot of people in power, not just horse racing, they surround themselves with other people like them. And the people that really succeed in, in the world, they weren't born into money because succeeding when you're born into money is not really succeeding. It's just you know, managing to survive and not blow the family fortune. But the people that really, really do well are the people that are willing to hear people that disagree with them and try to learn from them. And I think that that's something that this sport has done a poor job at. And I think that's apparent in the marketing. I think it's apparent. It's very, you see the way that that were treated as betters. You see the way horsemen are treated. There's a lot of take it or leave it. We are given a lot of ultimatums. Someone had made a post on social media this past week about the um, the simulcast contracts that the horsemen need to renegotiate them and they need to do a better job with them. And my comment to that person was, using what leverage? What do we? What, what can we do? We, a lot of times, things are dictated to us, and we are not going to strike. That's not going to happen. 
We're not a union. We don't have a whole lot of leverage because you're dealing with racetracks who see us in some ways as a means to an end and they don't exactly quote-unquote need us anymore when they have alternate forms of gaming. Sure, there might still be uh, laws that require a certain amount of dates or a certain amount of races to be run, but laws change, and they know it. And unfortunately, in a lot of places, our purses are dependent on things other than betting on our horses, our own product. And that's a scary world to live in. Down in South Florida, where I've been the last five years, that's not really the case in that, yes, we do get some casino money from from Calder and, and from the Gulfstream Casino, but it's a pittance compared to some of the northeastern casinos that really rake in the money. And, and uh, you know, the big advances in purse money in Kentucky have have been fueled by, uh, they're slot machines, what they call them, um, you know, whatever they call them, they call them instant gaming or whatever, but they're slots, and let's, let's face it. And when Gulfstream went to year-round racing and, and kind of took the market from Calder, kind of competed with them and, 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 and beat them at their own game, for years... A few years running, they kept increasing their share of the market. Their handle went up, the handle went up, field size was imperative, and they found that the signal was strong. And purses have been maintained here mostly and because of of the betting on the races. Now where where am I going with this? The point is this, is that so much of our, where we're sitting as horsemen is dictated to us, and we have to take it. I think that the situation in Maryland where the Stronic Group is stubbornly insisting that the races be run without Lasix, even though the Racing Commission has kind of said that they're not that comfortable with doing that, and now they're... the, the position of the track is, well, we just won't run two-year-old races this year. And I know there's negotiations going on, and but that's the attitude that we get a lot. And I think that we have an issue of understanding, and I don't think that, that people understand where we... I don't think people in this business understand each other. There's so many different segments between breeders and owners and consigners and sales companies and jockeys and people who work on the backstretch and trainers that everybody kind of looks out for each other or themselves, excuse me, and they kind of they don't worry about the other side. And I think that's really really shown to be a big issue with our you know with, with the lack of diversity we 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 don't even consider our business partners point of view a lot of times and that's not to say horsemen aren't 
aren't to blame in, in some cases as well because we are. Um, we have squandered a lot of the slot money that has been uh, brought into the game. Places like Parks, having five claimers running for $29,000 or $31,000, it just didn't make any sense. They would have got the same fields for $23,000 and they could have done something with that extra money to grow the business. But we didn't. And, you know, now we're left with the situation of everybody is jumping up and down and um, they're... You know, we, we want racing to be to be a lot of things that it doesn't it has a hard time being. We have a hard time getting our schedules coordinated. We run stakes on top of each other. We run races on top of each other. Um, there's issues of um You're put in in a situation a lot of times as a trainer where there might be a better race at a different track. And you risk the owner sending the horse to someone else if the track that you're stabled at isn't sympathetic to your 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 request to maybe run a horse out of town. And, and most tracks are, are, are pretty good about it. But sometimes, when, especially when the the horse populations are diminishing, the tracks are going to be less uh, willing to let you run out of town. Of course, unless you're one of the big guys who kind of do whatever they want. Anyways, I think uh, Roberto is on the line. Um, Roberto, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, everybody, this is Roberto Rodriguez. Um, Roberto, most of our listeners are probably not... um, Probably not Spanish-speaking as well as English-speaking. I'm sure there are some. But um, you've got a pretty popular website, and, and you've been a pretty um, a, a pretty uh, big force in the, uh, the Spanish-language broadcasting of, of horse racing. And just give everybody a little um, uh, introduction to yourself. Uh, thank you, Todd. Yeah, um, the website is called RobertoRoberto.com. Potro means cold. Um, I started this site in 2015. I used to work for, we did blow horse in Espanol for a month, for six months period in 2014. Unfortunately, you know, the project didn't went well. Um, you know, the price on the subscription was one of the factors. But I always had this idea that it is needed in, in the industry that Spanish-speaking um, publication. Because, it's, you know, as you know, uh, I will say we are the second largest uh, friend core in the industry. And based on that idea, I just created this blog. By then, it was just a simple blog called El Potro Roberto, which right now, after five years, I can say, thankfully, um, it is, I would say, the most um, uh, visited platform 
um, in the United States, based in the United States, with horse racing um, news. So you've done some uh, some work with some of the industry's biggest uh, groups. What is your take on? You and I have had this discussion for years, and especially down here in South Florida, the Hispanic population is is very prominent. And when you go to the races at Gulfstream, especially on uh, during the summertime when we don't have as many tourists here. The the amount of Spanish speaking people is probably at least half, maybe more. And my feeling always was that we need to to do more to introduce those people to our business. And there certainly is so much. Um, the the workforce is is very much um, Latino. The the jockeys, the mm. top jockeys, are clearly. Um, Latinos and uh, at Gulfstream, especially uh, a huge portion of the trainers are as well. And I think that Gulfstream does a, a, a good job with that being based here and having the races uh, announced in Spanish and, and having a, a, an actual show that um, similar to to what uh, what uh, Jason and, and Ronnie do. Uh, talking about each race and kind of prepping uh, um, that. But they seem to be the only track that really has put a significant portion of their, their funds in that. In that, you know, recently we saw where New York had, um, for what they say was funding reasons, and obviously, you know, un- under the circumstances of, of them having lost so many dates and. Um, and then certainly not being able to count on the the revenue that Saratoga generates, but they cut back their Spanish um, portion of the their broadcasts, and um, I I don't know that any other track really has that. I mean, what what's your feeling on that? Well, uh, starting with you know with the. The point is, it, it, and, and I totally understand that you know we we need to learn language. I would say English, and you know because we live in this beautiful country here, offering 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 us so many opportunities, and, and I totally understand that. Well, in my case, for example, and I can give you this example. When when I came to this country twenty years ago. I have to go to the school because I wanted to learn the language. So I had the tools, I had the resources to learn and to engage with a new language. Something similar happened to her racing. I understand we should, you know, learn the language, but at the same time, it is a large, a large amount of people. Then they don't know the language. So it, it creates a barrier, you know, they feel like a, like you know, like a, we don't care about them, and and you mentioned Gothring. Gothring have been doing you know. Gothring actually ha- has been my sponsor since day one, and, and just because of this, just because I presented the idea to start promoting the sale among you know the Spanish speaking people, and Gothring have been doing a really good job, you know, with their channel. They call in the races. 
Biden goes beyond that. It goes beyond the just to call the races. We need to engage the people like, you know, uh, the, starting with the past performance, you know, like a how to read the past performance. I don't say to translate, but how to read it. It, it creates some kind of um, these videos, you know, um, explaining to people how to place a bet, you know, um, how to read the stats. It, it's just a simple thing that may, I mean, you know, they may feel the people comfort with the business. They will be, you know, they're going to they're gonna gain that confidence, and obviously they're going to switch more to the track. They're going, to, they're going to feel welcome. They're going to play. You know, obviously, they're going to pay more. And, 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 and you can see that in the classical career. You can see how many people go to Austin Park. I would say pretty much it's the same amount of people that go to the Pegasus World Cup. In, in the classical career, they, it's just, I would say 90% is Spanish-speaking people. Just because they got something they, they totally understand, you know, from the racing, Horses and the program for everything. I would say if every track, each track, I would say major track, start to or begins to. And I've been talking to Killen, and I've been talking to Delmar. I present to it this idea, and you know, to the British Cup itself, and say, "Listen, I'm here. Use my platform. Use my team. Let's get it done. Let's let's put together a group, a good program." To represent, you know, British Cup or Denmark meeting or Finland meeting in Spanish, and you will see the results. And those people will stay there. Those people will engage with your track, and obviously, we understand more the game. And and regarding Naira, I mean, I feel bad, but at the same time, Chuck, to be honest with you, since day one, I don't think Naira put that much effort to promote. Um, Naira and Espanol. I don't say they didn't do it. I would say they didn't enough. Like, um, for example, Gulfstream has been doing it to promote themselves in Spanish, to expose themselves, you know, for make it reachable. And that's why I create my platform. You go to my platform, I, I'm everywhere. I'm Twitter, I'm Instagram, I'm YouTube. I'm posting videos all the time. I've been trying to go to every single track every single workout, because you have to expose yourself to, for, you know, be able to get some, or the, some of these fans, you know, engaged with, 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 the, with the game. And, and unfortunately, I don't think Naira did it that well on that part, and obviously with everything that's going on right now with the COVID-19, unfortunately, it has been a lot of, you know, cops and, and, and the companies and, I mean, it is bad, but I think they they started this situation and they think that it's for their best. And unfortunately, the, the Spanish channel has to be shut down. Um, hopefully, they can come back one day, but I don't know. You know, there's two things that you said that strike me. And the first is that the Caribbean Classic Day is the single most enthusiastic crowd you're ever going to see. I mean, Gulfstream is packed, and it's a fun day, and as you said, probably 90% of the people are... are I would say 90%, and right right. now, the meeting that is going on that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. I would say 70% of of the people that go there, even, just talking about Jersey Professional, 
trainers and jockeys involved right now, I can bet you 70% of them, they are Spanish. That's that's probably an accurate number. But um, it, it, it's actually a good day. And, and amazingly, for a U.S. audience that doesn't really know the horses and doesn't really know the trainers coming from these other other places... The handle is is good. I mean, really, really good. And, and I have to believe that a lot of that handle is coming from people from these these places. Um, and I think that that one something else you said about speaking English. Well, in this country, certainly speaking English is a, is a benefit. But you know, the market now is is international. The, the it's a global market. If we're going to grow, there's a whole continent. And 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 uh, a section of North America and in, in, in South America that primarily speaks something other than English, and they're more or less on their you know similar time zones. And it's not like uh, some place like Hong Kong, which it's difficult because even as great as the racing is, it's tough because they essentially run in the middle of the night here because we're you know directly opposite sides of the globe. But there's an international component, and I think that Gulfstream is the one, uh, or the Stronic Group is the one organization that that's looked south and and seen the potential. And I think part of that plays into their their you know pretty uh, prolific Spanish language um, operation. And I think one of the problems, and this this kind of relays into the issues that we're facing. Uh, with inclusion, with with people of of, of color and, and and people of of uh, different sex, is that I don't know how many people out there in the English speaking sector that really have any idea that Gulfstream has this program. Essentially, they have a mirror program of what they do for in English in in Spanish, and I, I wonder about even track management, track executives, and other people who who call the shots really realize how prolific it is and it's an out of sight out of mind thing when the management of the business the industry doesn't include any latinos well how do you expect to to even know they're there to even know what's available to even know what potential lies there because I only know because I'm. I only know because I'm here. If I was based somewhere else, I probably wouldn't even know it. I happen to know exactly. some of the people. That's why I know it exists. And um, you know, there's you, you, sometimes you flip across a, on the TV a, a, to one of the Spanish channels, and you'll see a, an ad. Goldstream Park will do an ad in, in Spanish, yeah. and that, that, that's why that's that's why I'm saying because I have pitched this idea. Let's put it this way. Let's start with this point. Gulfstream Park, sometimes they have $1 million in one betting, in $1 million in one claiming rate, third and second race of the day, and they already have $1 million in, in, in betting. Why? Because they have been working really hard to try to reach out these people. And trust me, Spanish-speaking people, Especially the one in South Florida, they like to gamble. They like to bet. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's the main goal for every single truck. You know? 
race, race off the handle. It, it, it is, you know, it, it is a no-brainer. And that's why I pitched this idea to Kilan, to Delmar. I say, well, why you guys, you guys got nothing to lose. Just try it. They're short meetings, they're compact, very good meetings, a lot of action, a lot of good horses racing. And, and, and the same thing happened with the sales. I reach out to Sam Keenland to reach out to Tassi Tips and say, look, I understand you got yourself, but what about if you have, a, you know, a additional broadcast for the sale in Spanish? Do you know how many people are investing money here buying horses? If they don't have a, a bilingual blockstock agent, they're not going to buy any horses because they're not going to trust anybody. They need someone to trust. But if you have something that they can go through, like listen to the sale, what's going on, explain how to educate and how to buy a horse, you know, what, what direction you should go, I think it's going to be a win-win for the sales. Do you know how many famous people, Spanish-speaking people, they're, they're, they're getting involved with the game? Look at Victor Martinez. Now he's has a horse. He's going to go in the, to the Kentucky Derby. It's an all-star, all-star race. And the, only, and the funny thing is, Victor Martinez was making joke with Miguel Cabrera. I say, hey, why you, you don't get a horse? I, I have called Miguel Cabrera a couple times ago. Davey Ortiz, those people, they like the game. And, and, and as then, we can bring so many more, you know, famous people like River Scott does, you know, and, and getting involved with the game, and that's going to elevate. That's the only thing it will go. It will go up. It's no way to go down, especially now. We need to create something that attract more people, that bring the support, that bring the gambles, you know, that bring, you know, people who like to get engaged with the game. And the only thing that I see to reach out the Spanish-speaking market is creating all these outlets. They will feel more comfort, you know, uh, assisting to the track or, or following the game. Look at every major sport. Just look at it. NFL, NBA, MLB, all of them, they do have bilingual social media. They got English and Spanish. Even the channels. You can watch, um, you know, the Super Bowl in Spanish. So uh, why not us? Why use one track? It doesn't have to be Florida because it, it, geographically it is, you know, close to the Caribbean. Look at New York. Who are the top writers in New York? Just name it. I would say nine of the ten, they're, you know, Spanish-speaking jockeys. And if you go to California, you probably will find, you know, 50%. But everywhere that you go, if you go to the Central, look at, you know, you got Santana leading, you know, in Kentucky. So, I mean, you have, you already have the stars. You just need to create the bridge where the fans will follow the stars. And that bridge is creating outlets. You know, I will say broadcasting, I will say um you know, platform like my office like my, to reach out this friend core and, and engage it with the game. And and, and I think that DRS is, is they're going to do something good in the future. Uh, I think that's the company who will jump on it 
in the company who will jump on it is gonna they're gonna have a bunch of land in front of everybody because trust me whoever does this first it, they're gonna do good they're gonna do really good yeah I, I agree with you and I, and I think that the one thing I, I think that no matter what you're trying to promote or, or what event you're trying to to have what Disney have people need to feel a comfort level when they go there. And I think that language is certainly is, is a big barrier in that if I was going to a place where very, very little English is spoken, my question and my Spanish isn't, isn't good enough to actually speak it on in public because <laughs> you speak Spanish. I, I remember one, one time <laughs> I was, I was telling the grooms to put, um, put mud we put uh poultice in the horse's feet and i was pronouncing uh patos <laughs> and they kept laughing and they and the one guy said what's so funny and he said you're telling them to put ducks in their feet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um you know I, I would think that that would be one of the reasons why i would convince myself not to go somewhere because i was like well you know i don't really speak enough i might not Stop. know what's going on and Stop. Sorry for interrupt, but let's put it this way, all right? Let's say you are invited to the Latino Americano. The Latino Americano is, um, they call it the Latino. It's, I will say, the Kentucky Derby, but in South America. This is 100,000 people in one track, okay? Let's say you get invited. I invited you, you know, let's say, let's go there. How do you feel if you go there and you have nothing in English? Right. You know the race. You know how what's going on, right? Because you're the horseman. Um, you know probably how to read the program because you know numbers, colors, whatever. You know you you you're gonna have a, a good idea. But you will miss pretty much the whole thing. Like you don't know you are not completely engaged. But if you have someone at the track, or you go to the track and you listen, oh, we do have a, an additional um, broadcast. In in English, uh, you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna, obviously you're gonna listen to that. Oh, here's your program. Oh, here's here's how to read the program, our program because it may be different. Okay, here's how you, here's how, how you read it. Now you're feeling like okay, um, you know, I, I bet you you will feel much better. Why we don't do the same thing here? It, it's just a simple question. It's an industry that produces so many millions. And right now, with the technology, it's so cheap to create broadcasting, to create, you know, uh, how come I have survived for five I hustle, yeah, I, I, you know me. But if I can do it, can you imagine what, we, what can we do in a higher platform? Like, you know, representing one track or one of these big companies like a DRF, as I mentioned. No, I, I I hear you. I mean, I've been in, I've been to tracks in in Chile when I was there to two different tracks, and the guys I was with spoke English, so they were able to kind of, um, you know, help me out. And, and like you said, racing is racing. You look at the the past performances, and you can kind of figure out yeah. what's going on. But um, it, yeah, I, I get it. You know, if if they if I didn't have those guys that I was with. I would have been lost, and I think back to okay. If you turn 
the tables and, and, and you put someone who doesn't really speak very well, doesn't speak English very well, and you bring them to a, a track and they see all these Latino people, they, they see the grooms and they see the riders and they see the trainers, but everything's still in English. I mm. mean, it's it's just kind of a, a, a an unusual um, paradox in that, you know, a lot of these people are Spanish, but they're not telling, you know, they're, they're not giving us anything in Spanish. And it just seems that it's it's just a racing issue and it's been a racing issue and that racing doesn't know what it, it even is in a lot of ways. And that a lot of our marketing and a lot of our focus has been on parties and people who dress up in hats and, and things like that. And racing is gambling, period. It's gambling. Yeah. It's about people betting on the races. It's people gambling by, by buying or, or breeding bloodstock. And, and it's, it's a competition. That's what it is. And, yes, the big events are, are, are certainly needed i mean they're they're great but so much of of racing is the same thing the same thing the same thing the same thing and we're and losing, you're gonna get the same result we're losing market share and we're losing owners and we're the the our handle is less than it was 10 years ago if mm-hmm. you based on inflation it's a lot less than it was 10 years ago and even during this because, COVID shutdown, you, you, you know, our, our numbers are uh, maybe ticked up just a little bit um, from where we were last year. But we're operating in a vacuum. We're operating with almost no competition. There's, there's no sports of note. And there's, there's um, the casinos that have opened have, have been, you know, people have been very tepid openings. These aren't. Like uh, I know in Vegas they kind of went a little bit wild, but the even the other forms of entertainment have have been have been muted in a lot of ways, and yet we're still not we're, we're just kind of you know we we have a glass ceiling of of what handle seems to be and 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 yet there's not alarm among people in racing, and now we have a guy calling. Uh, you know, who, who was exposed as a racist yesterday and everybody's jumping in and, you know, we're not going to let this guy do this. We're not going to let this guy do that. We're not going to do this. And the fact of the matter is this, is that the business that he is in, the sales business, is the single most secretive, non-transparent business in all of horse racing. Mm. You look at the sales results and you'll see Mickey Mouse buys a horse once in a while. You'll see, uh, you know... Blah blah blah, and and a lot of times they don't want to disclose who bought the horse. Uh, most of the horses, it's not disclosed who owns the horse that they're that, that's selling. And there have been some advances made in that area, but it's not as though this is a. Um, there hasn't been a lot of uh, change embraced in that in that arena and that's a problem and it starts it it, it it's it starts there it is and it's funny because um i was talking with a friend of mine who you know who is a trainer and he has been in florida i would say almost two years over two years and we were in a conversation you know and 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 I mentioned this, you know, run happy thing, you know, you buy a run, run, a run happy song or, you know, 
uh, product is the win, you get an extra $100,000, whatever. And he said, what is that? He said, well, he's all over the places. He said, well, you know, Roberto, I don't speak English, so I don't speak English. I tried to learn, but, you know, I'm a trainer, so I have to be pretty much the whole day. And, and, I got, and I got family, so I, I don't have that much time to study, but still, you know. And I explained, he said, well, that's great, but why they don't have that in Spanish, that, that promo? So, like, this, you know, a lot of us can't understand what's going on, and maybe, you know, we can, you know, talk, talk or, or, or clients to, to jump on that. So it's just a simple example that a lot of things that we can do just duplicating in another language, translating what we do in English, translating into Spanish, and that's it. And I'll tell you, I've been trying to, to convince pretty much everybody in the last four years, this is going to work. There's no way that you're going to lose because you're not going to lose. You're going to win more. You're going to win more fans. You're going to bring, you know, whoever you are, if you are, a, you know, you represent a fail, you're going to, you know, have more buyers. And if you're a trainer, you're going to have more, you know, owners. It is something like, I mean, I still kick into myself, you know, and it's frustrating because I'm limited. You know, I don't have the platform. It's not high enough to, to express everything, but I work, I've work. i been working so hard to get to the point where I am right now. Uh, it is it is not what I want to be, but I know I'm, the right, I'm in the right direction, and, and I think the sooner or later, like I say, uh, one of these companies is going to listen they're going to put together something in Spanish, and they're going to be running away from the competition. I'll tell you that. I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was because I know how hard you've worked, and I know the frustration that you feel in um, in people listening to you, but then not really doing anything. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'll say it, and I don't care, because what difference does it make? The fact of the matter is, if racing had put 10% of the money and effort into what you're trying to do versus barstool sports, we would have probably seen the results already. And yeah. we, instead, we, we they just doubled down on the same you know, bro culture that doesn't seem to be moving the needle it doesn't seem like it's helping and that's the thing that doesn't make sense in racing and it's one of the things why when people say well racing needs to be more inclusive and Sid Fernando did a a piece in the TDN the other day that of course is controversial even though he's right and saying that how can a business that that's moved to be more exclusive it's it's moved to be less uh, welcoming to other other um, groups. How can we suddenly reverse course and and be more inclusive and include more people? And I don't know that it can. I don't I don't know that it's possible because I think a lot of times, even Tom Van Meter wrote an apology letter today, and I know Tom Van Meter, and and I've bought horses from him, and I have nothing. Um, I, I've, I've never had a a bad experience or anything with him, and of course, why would I? But 
I mean, what he wrote was inexcusable, and it was certainly not um, acceptable in, in 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 July of 2020 to, to say these things on social media, especially mm. where you know whatever you say on social media can be uh, there forever. And that's not to say I, yeah. I I probably said stupid things, probably not racist, but stupid things. Uh, <laughs> About the, I, I, I mean, I, I know I've said stupid things about the Dolphins, who always let me down, and the Knicks. No, I still, not, I hate you, James not, Dolan. You, I hate you. you. Yeah, you but, carry that forever, so don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> but the fact is now, even in, in his apology today, which you know, I mean, the guy wrote a letter, and what it is, what it is. This is what people do. They get caught, and then they say, you know, I'm sorry. And he made a contribution to the NAACP. And it's almost like, hey, you know, I'm bad. I feel bad. I shouldn't have said it. I was wrong. But hey, here's some money, and let me make you know. Let, let me let me let me give you some money, and, th- and this way, you know, we'll we'll, we'll try. To, I, I try to be a better guy, and yeah. you know, it just is. It's not. It's not. Uh, hey, you know what? He said that. He said what he said. He admitted what he said. He admitted he was wrong. You know, you take it at what it, it, it is, and. But Listen, I thought I thought that the addition of the donation was kind of um, it, it was kind of uh, not um, I don't know I, I just kind of didn't have a warm and fuzzy say, feeling about that. And I would say something uh, you know I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble or not. Well, it is something that hurts me, and 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 we should we should do better where our Backstretch workers. I, I mean, uh, I think we, you know, we can do more. We can do better. I love what um, the Naira Chaplaincy does with the backstretch people. They take care of them. They take care of their family. Don't forget, there are people. You know, they are taking care of our horses. They, you know, they pretty much with them more than their own families. And, and I think sometimes we take for granted, you know, what they do. And that hurts me. And and I know sometimes tracks, they, they you know, they're creating these, you know, um, prices or whatever, you know, they, they, they give money to, the, you know, to the groom of the day. And, and that's good. But I, I think we should, we should be involved more with these, you know, with these people, because they are, I would say, you know, big part of this industry, and 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 every time that, that I see or I read, you know, comments about rooms or people from the backstretch, you know, uh, bad comments. When I, every time that, that I read or listen, it hurts me. And 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 I'm one of the person, that, you know, they always kind of. Exalt their work, their dedication. And I love to see every groom, you know, you know, bringing the horses to the winner circle. I love to see a groom call it by their their name and last name, not just Pedro or Roberto. Or, or you know, that person also has a last name like you know everybody else in the world. So I, I would love to see that. I would love to. To see organization pushing, you know, for for that. So, and I like to it's just funny because we, we're running out of time, and, and I was, you know, reading your, your the promotion for this um, 
podcast, um, which I congratulate you. You're doing really good on that. Um, and you have, I guess, uh, um, Marty from um, uh, from DRF. And, and I can tell you one thing. Marty, he probably he doesn't know, but he may be the person who without knowing, create a big opportunity for me. He was the one that, um, I would say, over a year and a half ago, something like that, he was on the, on, the, on the Tampa Bay Derby, 2019 Tampa Bay Derby. He may be the, he, he's the guy that may be open a big, big door for me, and and I want to take advantage of it to, to think that I always think about, I want to think very for 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 be so open and with me providing the information that I need for, for the moment. And, and I'm saying this because it's something related with this Spanish, you know, speaking, you know, uh, um, publication and, and spread more the word in Spanish and, and promote the industry among the Spanish-speaking people. And he, he doesn't know, but he, he probably became in one of the, the persons who pushed this without, like I said, without knowing. Well, we'll certainly bring that up with Marty. Marty's a true racetracker's racetracker. I was he's one of the nicest guys I ever met in in the industry. To be honest with you, no. I, I don't talk to to him too much, but every time I talk, it, it, the guy has been so nice with me. Then I feel I feel welcome in the industry, and I can say that you know, and 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 I'm glad you have him on the show too. Yeah, Marty's Marty's been someone I I met when I um when I moved to Kentucky in 1999 and and, and started training for myself and oh, Marty's a he he's not just a guy who who mails it in. I mean, he lives this the sport and um I, I walked into uh, Pompano Park a couple years ago on a Tuesday to meet somebody um at the simulcast center and and there he was, Marty McGee, and had his form out, and he was betting uh, like River Downs or Belterra Park or whatever they call it. And and uh, he, he's a true racetrack guy. His brother's a, a, an excellent trainer, and, and Marty, you know, didn't go to the backside. He came to kind of the front side, but uh, he's been a uh, a mainstay, and and uh, he, he's a uh, he doesn't just. Uh, do the job and and that there's a lot of people like that and and the, the, yeah, the, the yeah, sad yeah. thing is the media that covers horse racing has has diminished um because as newspapers have really you know there seem to be going instinct extinct they've uh you know racing was one of the the first things that they cut the racing writers and and even you know, publications like the DRF have have uh, have really pared down their their staff, and and it's uh, it's good that uh, I'm happy that Marty is still uh, still there and and still covering racing, and and it's it's um you know we don't have a season, you know we're year round. We take one day off a year. The, the only day there's no racing is, is Christmas, and. Uh, and I think they I think they run on a commandante on Christmas to be honest. <laughs> so even uh, even though everything else is closed, um, you know, racing is a, is a year round thing and it becomes a passion. And uh, Marty's uh, Marty's a good guy, and uh, 
we'll hear we'll hear what he has to say about this this meet at coming up at Keeneland, which is uh, you know Keeneland in July. You you would normally think Keeneland July. You would think of a sale. Keeneland July sale used to be uh, the kickoff point for yearling sales in this country. It was at night. It, it was uh, where some of the biggest, most famous um, uh, horses at auction were were, were sold. Um, we're going back into the, I believe, the late seventies, early eighties, when you know, the Keeneland July sale was the you know the big sale, and um, it was it was not a a large sale, but it was uh, a sale for uh, the star you know yearlings and. Uh, and then the game kind of changed, and things kind of got pushed off to a little bit later in the year. And and then uh, you know Fazek Tipton started their July sale kind of after Keeneland had had really moved their July sale to book one of the September sale. And and uh, you know everything is is pushed back. All the yearling sales are pushed back this year because I mean next week OBS has a uh, a two year old sale with with almost a thousand horses in it. And uh, I mean. Usually by this time of the year we're, we're done with two-year-old sales and and we're we're going on to the babies, but uh, but you know the Keeneland meet five days, um, you know Wednesday through Sunday, it's uh, <laughs> it's just weird, you know, with Saratoga opening next week, you know, <laughs> having the bluegrass stakes be be run. Uh, the, the 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 Saturday before Saratoga's opening, it it just is like. Uh, Thank you. Know, it, it's just kind of backwards. It's just a very <laughs> unusual year, and I mean, it's uh, it's it's obviously I've, I've seen the the PPs for the opening day card, and and it's a it's a solid card, and um, I'm sure you know Keeneland always gets um, good trainer participation. They always have big fields, and uh, for betters, it, it'll it'll be a, a good five days to uh, to uh, to find yeah, really competitive races. It's going to be good, but it could have been better if they also had the Spanish, you know, yeah. broadcasting going on. <laughs> That's true. That's hey, listen, true. I, I can say I can say this, and I know we're running out of time, and I can thank you enough, you know, for for having me. But I, I will say this: in the portal, we are, I will say we are the only outlet right now who has twenty-two edition. And so far this year, every week, every Monday, we have a live show on YouTube talking about the Kentucky Derby. I don't, I don't think even in English it sees a program that you can have sit for one hour to listen everything that's going on about the Kentucky Derby, and we have that going on. Yeah, so that's ideas like that to have it, you know, obviously more often in different platforms. It's what we need. Simple as that. Absolutely, and this this clearly is the uh, the longest Derby trail that we've ever seen. Yeah, with the the Derby ring run in September, not May. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of the horses you were probably talking about in February aren't even around anymore. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. We, the program changed every week, but the people love that because they are you know they're getting updates on a weekly basis. Right. And they know exactly what we have a trainer yesterday. Life. We call Juan Carlos Avila, King Guillermo trainer. Mm-hmm. We call him. He was with us, you know. And, and people, they, they, they were expecting that. 
So the guys give you the latest update on King Guillermo, how King Guillermo is doing, his weight, his network out. So uh, we can do that. We can do that, I would say, multiply by 100. So, uh, so, we, so tell us. Commit to this. Tell us, what is the update on King Guillermo? Uh, the horse is doing really good. Actually, the workout, he, he, he was expecting 48 and change. He got 47. And without, you know, mobile muscle, uh, horses, you know, gaining weight. Remember, horse, uh, he was uh, 1,068 before the Arkansas, and then went down to, a, you know, to 1,000 pounds. He lost, you know, probably 80 pounds uh, between the trip and the race. Now he's in 1,100 pounds. He's looking really good. Um, he's going to have a, a couple more workouts here. He's trying to bring it to Churchill. As soon as he can, based on the situation, because he want to, he want the horse to work out at least two try two times at uh, a Churchill track. And the owner Victor Martinez, you know, former All Star, he's they are very excited with this horse. This horse is, is not big, but he has heart. He has a huge heart, and and he trained great against Nadal. I, I think this horse is top five for the Kentucky Derby. To be honest with you. Yeah, I I would agree. Uh, the the Derby is the Derby Trail has certainly seen a lot of shakeups with with uh, you know the cancellation of or, or postponement of a lot of the Triple Crown races, the preps, and uh, with with a lot of the horses you know, dropped out because they Maxfield and Nadal and uh, you know being two of the primary ones. Um, he's he's been uh, you know he, he's he's a horse that certainly has ability. And it's interesting to me that that he's uh, trying to bring him up to, um, you know, uh, off of workouts. Um, but there's a lot of ways to win the Kentucky Derby. So there's no uh, there's no set way of of doing it. Uh, and uh, he'll be he'll be probably you know one of the five or fifth or sixth choices depending on what shakes out the next week or so. But uh, We'll go from there. Hello? Hello? Yes. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here, I'm here. Sorry. Oh, I got it. Gonna... No, no, I'm sorry. I, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, King Guillermo was kind of passing all the late preps and, and just uh, training up up to it. Yeah. I, I mean, and one of the reasons why he wanted to, to pass all this, you know, um, races is because the horse needed the time, so he, he was a kind of feed your poison. Okay, we if we run the horse, we risk it, you know, to to you know, obviously to get tired by the time of the Kentucky Derby. Or we resting, we let him recover himself, you know. We working on that, and and we take our chances like that. So they wouldn't put that option in, and I think the option we paid off. I, I don't know if he want to win the race. Because, you know, uh, he's a law and honor be there two really good horses, you know. Yes. But I think if King Guillermo can, he can be a big surprise. And I think he's going to run really, really good. Obviously, we have to wait, you know, for the post run and all the kind of stuff that involves the derby. Um, but physically, he's going to get there in really good shape. Yeah, you know the Derby is the one race that we run this in this country that uh, 
it's not like every other race. It's, it's a different race with the 20-horse field with yep. all, all the, um, you know, everyone's pointing to get in the race and then kind of seeing what happens. And it's uh, horses, not, the best horse doesn't always win. And you, know, you still have to be talented enough to win. And, you know, a lot of yep. years, half the field really isn't talented enough to win the race without some you know, some, some sort of uh, cataclysmic uh, event. But uh, he, he seems like he is talented enough to win. He, he probably is, is uh, like you said, yeah, pro- I, I, probably right on the top five, right, sitting right outside the top five, right right in that, that area. Again, everything depends on what happens here. Yeah. This yeah. week, uh, the two big preps, and then the Travers um, and the Haskell. I mean, we, we, it's like Derby prep crazy here. We have uh, the Indiana Derby, I think, tomorrow night, and the, the, the Bluegrass, and then uh, um, the Haskell next week after that, and then and then the Travers. And it's uh, it's it's certainly a, a unique situation. Absolutely, my friend. Well, I I appreciate you being on, and um, we'll have you back on. And, and uh, good luck. Keep, keep, keep on keep on pushing your your uh, your format because um, and your platform because it it, it deserves uh, it deserves more exposure. Thank you. I appreciate it, and thank you for having me again. And anytime, you know, you know, you know where you can find. I, I'm not, I'm not hard to find. Yeah, you know, I'm very easy to find. So. <laughs> you are. All right. Thanks, Roberto. Hi, right, man. Take care. All right. That was Roberto Rodriguez, El Potro Roberto. And now we have Mr. McGee. Is Mr. McGee on the line? Hey, Chuck. Hey, Marty. How are you? Good. I- you know, I, I'm honored to follow Roberto. I met him at Tampa two or three winters ago, just kind of by chance. He was in the press room, and uh, uh, what a nice fella. And uh, you know, I, I'm really intrigued myself with what you guys were talking about with King Guillermo and uh, coming into the Derby off of what's going to be about a four-month layoff. That, that's the equivalent of of you not having your last prep for the Derby if we'd had a May 2nd Derby, like on New Year's Day. So uh, it's pretty much unprecedented really yeah it's uh it's just an, another twist in the unusual saga of the 2020 derby yeah a 2020 period i keeneland i mean i'm sitting there writing about the <laughs> the maker's mark miles in july you know it's <laughs> it's uh one thing that doesn't change though chuck is, chuck is chad brown is a major factor in all these big races so yeah well, at least on the turf he is. I don't know about the yeah. uh, the, the 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 keynote uh, race of the Keen July meet the the bluegrass. Um, yeah, but um, it, it 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 was it's just kind of bizarre. And I was talking to I had Barry Spears on my my show last night. We we did a, a podcast, and I said it's just so odd that like we're talking about previewing Saratoga. And we're talking about the Keeneland being run, and and the Bluegrass is this Saturday, and the Indiana Derby is Wednesday, and the Haskell's next week, and the Travers is the first part of of of, of August, and it's just kind of like bizarre world. Yeah, it's uh, but you know we could be baseball or hockey or basketball or football, and really have some mega problems. Uh, we you know we have ameliorated some of our problems uh, by way of uh, 
you know, I think the racetracks all in all have done a fabulous job of of taking the proper precautions. We're lucky we're an outdoor game whereby people can more or less maintain their social distance, and we've had no major blowback except for you know, what happened at Lone Star a couple of days ago. But uh, otherwise, it's, it's, you know, knock on wood and, and keep your fingers crossed in that uh, we get to continue playing the game more or less, not with the fans. It's, it's, it's a lot different, as you know. But, uh, but we're in better shape than a lot of those big sports. Yeah, um, there's there's no doubt, and, and and the whole Lone Star thing seems to be, you know, stemming from uh, coming out of the jocks room, and um, you know Gerard Melanson, who who I spoke to yesterday, he he was the jockey that tested positive, and you know he had tested negative a couple times, and he hadn't been feeling that good, and then as soon as he he actually felt better, then he tested positive. So it's such a um, an unknown as to how to even deal with this and uh, I, I know you know Billy Badgett did an amazing job keeping Gulfstream open uh, during a time when virtually everyone was uh, everyone that wasn't a, a horseman or a, 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 a player was trying to close them you know a lot of the people in the local government were were uh, were very vocal against keeping Gulfstream open and and I know he worked very, very hard to do that. And I think a lot of the protocols that were put in place at Gulfstream have been adopted by other other areas and kind of you know made a formed a template of, of how to how to do this. And you know, and I think one of the real big question marks is is the Derby and how many people are they going to have in? And I know Churchill is a huge huge facility and, and it's you know far flung i mean the horses their seats from the, the quarter pole to the seven eighths pole but um it's uh you know i, I guess we just keep our fingers crossed that, that uh, things stay, stay yeah. okay yeah i was talking to darren rogers this morning about you know how he's going to a lot uh media credentials and he says i, I think i'm going to be mr no to, to a lot of people it, it, i think the way chuck they're going to handle the try and spread out the crowd you know normally it's about a buck 50 on derby day uh they're talking about maybe half of that with quite a few of the general missions um going in the infield there will be no walk arounds there will be no uh, milling around in the paddock, etc. Uh, they're gonna if you're if you're just paying the fifty bucks or whatever it is just to get in the joint, you're going to the infield. As far as the seating, it's my understanding that if you've bought a ticket and you're turning it back in, they're not reselling that. That's their way of decreasing the seating, the, the people in the seats. So, you know, they're doing this, they're doing this on the fly. I mean, that may or may not work, and Lord knows if on September 5th they run the Derby and October the 15th, uh, the state of Kentucky or whoever had been to Churchill Downs, of course we'll have quite a few out-of-towners here, um, you know, there's if there's a spate of these uh, reoccurrences or, or a spike in the, in the COVID. But uh, uh, everything's uncharted territory. Getting back to what Billy did, you know, I was down there with you as I always am, for the winter, and I, I left out about March 26, and that was right at the at the cusp of them transitioning from fans to no fans. I think March 15th was our last day as, as media to be there on the track. So 
So for the last 10 days or so, I was just sitting in my condo there in Hollywood just doing my work there. But I, I thought it was rather amazing that Gulfstream and Tampa got to keep running. Hardly anybody else did. Laurel and Aqueduct and Kentucky and everybody else, they were all shut down for a, a good close to a couple of months. So we, start, we started back here on May the 16th at Churchill. And, uh, yeah, I, surely there was somebody just working feverishly, and, and you're pointing out Billy Bad that uh, they did a hell of a job keeping things going down there. It was kind of a, a saving grace for a lot of people, a lot of sports people, just to get to bet on something, just to get to watch something as opposed to everything else being closed. So uh, it, my hat's off to Billy. He's, he's a great guy anyway, as we all know. So. Yeah, he, he did. He worked. I, I know for a fact that he worked very, very hard. And, I mean, you could make the case that, um, you know, the the three tracks, the three main tracks that stayed open, Tampa, um, Gulfstream, and Oaklawn, kind of, you know, at least created precedent for other tracks to open you know, they were pointed out as, hey, they, they've been able to do it. They've been able to um, do it without fans there. They've been able to isolate their jockey colony. They've been able to keep the um, the backside safe. And, and uh, uh, had they not been able to do that, I, I don't know that everything else would have been able to open up quite as quickly as it did. And, and uh, I mean, I've talked about racing maybe not doing quite as well as we should be doing in, in this situation where we have no competition. But, um, yeah, you know, like with, with uh, the day I was leaving, driving up the turnpike, that's the day that uh, Javier Castellano, it, it came up with him being positive. That was taken care of the right way. Over at Oakland, shortly thereafter, Joe Talamo, same thing. They said he had been in contact with the one fellow who had uh, – Thing. He asked Mr. Sella, "Do I need to? Uh, do I need to stop riding?" Mr. Sella said, "No," and uh, it, it, it just went away because he wasn't positive or anything. Right. And uh, just when we had those isolated incidents, Chuck, uh, you know, we we met him head on and, and and went on with it. So it's you know, again, uh, we're doing so much better than the other sports. Yeah, you know, every day you're hearing about about baseball players specifically dropping out and not wanting to, um, you know, not wanting to play. And uh, the NBA is, is, these teams are essentially heading back to training camp this week. And um, they're, they're having all kinds of issues because it's very, very hard to, you know, these other sports, I mean, we require, um, Depending on the size of your barn, certainly we require a lot of personnel. But to actually play the game, you know, the, you, you need to have a horse and a groom and, and a jockey. And, you know, someone obviously to saddle the horse. But, you know, we, we, have, a, we have a little smaller um, essential a group of people than, than a, um, a baseball team, which, which has 25 players and, and coaches and then... Uh, you know the clubhouse attendance, and um, you know the the batting, the the, the bullpen catcher, and, and security, and and um, you know the the medical personnel and the trainers, and you're talking about a lot of people in, in a in a small area, and uh, you know it's uh, racing. Is, just seems unfortunately, <laughs> you know, 
running races in front of empty grandstands isn't that uh, isn't that unusual for for a lot of places, especially in the weekdays. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it doesn't look that different uh, as, as as it would in uh, you know a, a, another sport where. It, it just looks. Uh, I, I watched some of the Korean baseball games, and, and it just was this bizarre look. You know, they got stuffed animals and stuff uh, in in the seats, and it just looks weird. And uh, yeah, you know, we're we're able to keep it going, and, and hopefully, the Lone Star thing is an isolated uh, occurrence. But I mean, I, the thing I worry about with with the uh, with the Derby is that I mean, you know, that every year they have the famous helicopter shot of, of the. The private planes lined up, uh, you know, uh, um, all over the place at the airport, and those are all people coming from other places. Mm-hmm. You're talking yeah. about. I mean, it's not like. Uh, I mean, Thursday is supposed to be, you know, the the day that the the, the hometown people go to the races. <laughs> they don't have to pay nineteen hundred dollars for a ticket. But you know, the the weekend races, it's it's a huge huge percentage of people from somewhere else. And I know the Derby means um, an immense amount to the city of Louisville, to the state of Kentucky, to Churchill Downs, to horse racing in general. But it just is, uh, I mean, I think we're all going to have to cross our fingers that um, that this all gets to go off. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's coming up on us quicker than, quicker than you think. It's seven weeks from Saturday. So... Um... You know, I, I I hope to God that it's not a matter of Churchill Downs just wanting to make their money, and that's why they're kind of fast-tracking it and, and, you know, have more or less besieged the governor of Kentucky with pleas to please let us go on and, and do this the way we think we can do it. Um, because otherwise, you know, if... Otherwise, you should run it without fans, I guess. And uh, surely, uh, some public advocates are going to come forth and say, "You guys are going about this wrong." So we'll see what happens when you know when the rub- that rubber meets the road. Listen, I- I've got no expertise in public health or health otherwise, but the numbers that that they're putting out there just seem to be too many people. I mean, people have to yeah. park somewhere, and yeah. you, you know, you're putting. Are you going to put them on shuttle buses? To get back and forth from uh, the, the football stadium, or it, how, how do you bring a crowd of uh, like that into a place and, in and out with, without and, and still be able to maintain social distancing of six feet? It just seems yeah. the, the numbers just and don't plus, seem to add up. Plus, you know what, Chuck? Plus, they're drinking. They're drinking heavily. <laughs> they're drinking heavily, and they're going to be all over each other, and they're going to kind of forget about that damn COVID thing. It's just, you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, because I'm like you. I, I don't know enough about it. It's just, uh, I know that the elements are there, though, for, for maybe people to catch the virus. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a huge facility, and there certainly is a number that, there, there's a number that exists that they could certainly do it in a safe manner or safe as you can make it. Like you said, you know, if people start drinking yeah. and getting out of hand. And and, and that's an issue, too. Is, is uh, Are they going to require masks? Are we going to have, um, you know, security squaring off with, with people who, who, you know, get a little too many mint juleps and, and next thing you know, they're 
I mean, we see it every year at the Derby. It's, it, it, any, any, I mean, honestly, you see it every, every every year at any football game you go to, any big event where there's alcohol and 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 people, and um, uh, it just. Uh, I mean, I know why Churchill wants to do it. They want to do it because they they want to make money. It's a huge, huge, huge portion of their revenue for the year. I, I get that, but uh, I just wonder. Um, like I said. I just wonder what that number really should be, and uh, and uh, it, it'll be uh, it, it'll be fascinating to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I mean that's you know talking about the Derby, um, you know every every week like with Bick, I've been on with your buddy Steve Bick, and that's I keep saying that's the number one thing. How are the, I've been saying it since the the March, the whole thing broke open in March. How are they going to do this? What is going to happen with fans at the Derby? And that's what everybody wants to know. And it's still, even though they said they're going to do it, it's still a mystery as to how they're going to pull it off. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing's for sure. Uh, after this week's over, we'll have a couple more serious contenders for the race. You would think. We're gonna, we got, uh, you know, on our daily racing form, Derby Watch Top 20, which I've kind of jinxed it this year because this is the first year I've done it with Jay Pribbon and, Lo and behold, we we got to do it. We got to do it all year. It seems like you know, you started in mid February. We're going to go to the first of uh, September. But uh, yeah, we got five of our top twenty uh, in there. Let's see, we got Art Collector. We have um, Enforceable. You have Basin for uh, Steve Asmussen. You have uh, Mister Big News, who Brett Calhoun. I just got off a, a, a teleconference. Uh, hosted by the NTRA, uh, Brett was talking in glowing terms of him, and then uh, you got your boy Ralph Nix from down there, setting up the the speed horse uh, Shivery. So they want to give him a chance. So uh, five of the top twenty are in this bluegrass. There's obviously there's no standout, and what we're all waiting on. This is we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, we're waiting on the Wednesday morning decision by Kenny McPeak whether or not he is going to run the Philly, the Star Philly. By far the Oaks points leader, um, Swiss Skydiver, he's going to enter her in either the Ashland or the Bluegrass. And uh, you can't do both because they're both the same day, and that's the Kentucky rules. So uh, I I get the feeling he's leaning toward just running her in the Ashland because they're only talking about having six or seven in there, and we've got like a dozen at least. In the bluegrass, and that's a, that's a consideration. I, you know, it shows a lot of gamesmanship. I don't know about you, and I don't know how the chief used to do it. I, I don't remember him running many chilies against the boys, but it, it it makes it a lot more interesting to me if if somebody like her would just give it a give it a shout, give it a try. And uh, I, I don't know what your take is on it. You know, uh, honestly, I, I don't call us ever when I work from. I don't call us ever running a filly against boys. But um, you know, he certainly wouldn't have been against doing it. I don't think. But uh, well, you know, we we were going to run um, Classy Mirage in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. As a matter of fact, that that's like a that's one of the worst stories I have. In that uh, Angel Cordero, that was supposed to be like his going going out uh, gift uh, was was Classy Mirage in the Breeders' Cup Sprint the year that was at Belmont. The the, the year Cigar won. I think it was at ninety eight. Ninety-five. Yeah, ninety-five. Was that? Oh, see, that three years I just totally forgot about. But um, 
you know, Marjorie, Marjorie Clayton, who was Angel's wife, was still alive, and she was training a small string of horses, and, and she was stabled down the hill at Belmont, a few uh, a few barns away from us. And Classy Mirage, who who was a really a, a good Philly sprinter, a top Philly sprinter. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, I'm having a show on Thursday, and one of our I, I try to do a show on Thursday about uh, you know famous horses, uh, races, the seasons of the past that uh, I've kind of gotten forgotten. And um, uh, Classy Mirage certainly. Uh, th- this week is going to be uh, Philly sprinters and how how many great Philly sprinters there have been that, that have that have been able to um, to handle the boys. Uh, you know, Tawi and and uh, um, very subtle and and uh, extra heat. There's there's really a, a, a lot of for whatever reason Philly sprinters um, seem to be. Uh, there seem to be more successful sprinting fillies against against the boys than than any other division. Even uh, I guess the Europeans run a lot of fillies in the turf classic races, but um, but you know yeah, you had like uh, you had Mia Farah, you had Safely Kept, oh. and I just pulled the PP here on Classy Mirage. Her her final start was November twenty third, nineteen ninety five. In the Fall Highway, Grade Two against the boys, she was second under Julie Crone. Yeah, so she won a thirteen out of twenty-five for the Middletown Stables, and she was a J-bred New yes. Jersey bred. Uh, that she was. Um, she won the uh, the Ballerina that year, and mm-hmm. we beat Inside Information. Inside Information stumbled really bad at the start, and Julie rode her and. Uh, Mike Smith kind of made a big move on her. I think Inside Information was like three to five, and she, and she was deservedly so. I mean, Inside Information was an it was an amazingly good horse. Anybody that thinks Zenyatta would beat Inside Information is nuts. But um, Classy Mirage was on the lead, and, and and Inside Information was kind of sneaking up on her at the quarter pole, and Julie kind of you know let her drift out. And then uh, Mike shifted over to the inside, and Julie kind of let her drift back over the front. And and finally, inside information just got a little tired at the end because uh, she had to make up so much ground just to get in contention. And and Clayson Mirage, like you know, she was a really really good horse. You you can't give up that money lengths and beat her. But uh, there was a steward's inquiry on the race, and Julie <laughs> Julie you know said something to the stewards and and then she came over and 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 alan said to her he goes well you know what do you say he goes oh don't worry i told him it's okay you said i could do that just drift in and out <laughs> as long as i don't touch him and he was like what did you tell him that for what are you crazy and and, and they left they, they left it up i mean it, it wasn't really it really wasn't that bad but um but i think this is the year if you're ever going to do it, I mean, the biggest problem, it seems, with the new points system is that it, it's kind of discriminatory against Phillies in that all their races no longer count. And, and, and under the old system, they counted, the money counted that they earned in, in, uh, in the state, in the graded stake races. So this is the one year, especially with the bluegrass looking as wide open as it, as it is. I mean, it's really... You're not having to face the the best of the division, and I don't know. I mean, I know McPeak is is willing to take shots, and I know he he's got another. Doesn't he have another filly for the Ashland? Yeah, he has a filly named Ambutant, who he says is in the same league. But I I don't know about that. I mean, 
this Philly Swiss skydiver. She's won the Gulfstream Oaks, the Fantasy, and the Santa Anita Oaks. That's pretty. That's a pretty good year right there. And uh, so obviously she has enough Oaks points. I would just go on a roll of dice, and I, I can't even tell you who the favorite would be. Otherwise, I mean, I think if she ran, she'd be the favorite. Uh, you know, unless she drew the thirteen hole or whatever. And uh, but I, I just hope uh, I'm going to call him. I, you know, I hate bugging these trainers all the time, but I'll probably text him about I don't know seven in the morning. See what see what he's thinking. If he's, I hope he runs her. Yeah, it'd make it for way more interesting race. By the way, there's no uh, there's no network TV on the bluegrass this year. It's TVG's all you get. So uh, very yet another case for this being a, a just an unbelievable year. Yeah, that, that that I saw that this morning, and I was. I was very, very surprised that, that uh, I, I don't know, it, it seems, I'm not sure why that has happened, why there's, there's this, uh, um, you know, the, the, what the schedule is for the, that they're not covering it, but um, it, it's... Uh, it's well, well, you know, when they cobbled it all together, uh, Chuck, I mean, there's so many balls in the air and so many uh, various uh, factors involved, and this is probably one they had to say... You know, whoever it is, NBC or, or whoever, would have taken this. You would think NBC because they've had the road to the Triple Crown in, in recent years. They said, sorry, we, we can't do it because we've got X that we've already committed to. So I'm assuming that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. But, uh, yeah, the Philly being in that race uh, with Skydiver certainly would, would add a lot of intrigue to it. And, uh, I mean, her... You know, if she were to win the race, and that would give her the requisite points to to be in the Derby, and then he could kind of—I uh, I don't know—he might, he might not even race her against after that. He might just yeah, because then her up. yeah, seven seven weeks, and she's like like we've already talked about. She's had a pretty full campaign to to date. So yeah, that would. Uh, I'm hoping he does too, and, and uh, certainly would would uh, add a little spice to that. To that race, um, mm-hmm. I see tomorrow there. Um, Keeneland is giving away the the um, um, the programs for free online, which I thought was a was a good idea. Certainly uh, can't hurt. And uh, you know, I was looking over the fields, and it looks like a pretty strong card, and. You know, one of the topics that I talked with Barry about last night was the effect that this short little Keeneland meet is going to have, you know, coupled with Churchill um, running the Derby when they're running it and and, um, all the issues that are involved with traveling and going to New York and and, uh, um, getting your help. Uh, situated and, and uh, not owners not being able, allowed to, to watch the races. Um, you just wondered what kind of an effect do you think it's going to have on that Saratoga meet with uh, the, the the guys that are in Kentucky that generally would be shipping up uh, entire strings. Would have uh, would well, have heard about that. Well, I, I've heard that. A lot of these guys are going. Like Amos told me he's going. Uh, Al Saul, he's already up there with some. Uh, Dale, I'm sure, is going. Um, Wesley, I'm sure, is going. Um, Asmussen, of course, probably has a full barn. He's probably already set up. Eddie Keneally's probably going. I don't know how. 
you know what? We've got the jockeys like Leperu, who actually hasn't done that well at Saratoga in recent years. Uh, we've got guys like Mar- um, Martin Garcia and Joe Talamo. Uh, I-, I imagine Tyler Gaffleone will come up. So the only the only jocks that are coming up, I think, are Gaffleone. Giroux and Santana. That's probably all you're getting uh, jockey-wise. But I think as far as horse population and the reason you're asking is, I mean, how short of the field is going to be, you need the Kentucky guys. They, they, you know, typically help fill out a lot of these fields and make it more interesting. I'm, I'm sure Kenny uh, McPeak's taking them up there. Um, so I don't think that, you know, I, I hear you on the traveling thing. As a matter of fact, Brad Cox told me, um, Yesterday, I, I said, are you going to be at Keeneland when you run um, uh, who's he got in? He's got a, uh, he's got a good filly. Uh, he's got this filly named uh, Juliet Foxtrot, a Judd Mont homebred in the Jenny Wiley. And he has Montemoy Girl in on Saturday also at Belmont the Ruffian. And he said he's not going to travel uh, because of, you know, the ongoing situation. So I, I think to that extent, Chuck, it will be, you know, uh, there will be uh, lesser – participation perhaps than in prior years but i don't think it's going to be very exaggerated because uh you know we we've been pretty good about moving these horses around already i think uh, during the situation and and uh i would sure i would be quite sure that naira will uh, take all necessary precautions in terms of the people coming from an area like this and and making sure that they are not uh, virus carriers true you know the the kentucky shippers um, especially, you're not going to send a horse to Saratoga just to train. You're going to go up there to run them. It's just too expensive to bring them there. And right. that, that is the one thing about the guys that come from Kentucky during that particular meet is, is they come there to, to run, and they're going to try to get two starts out of their horses over the, the seven weeks. And my question is, though, you know, maybe they're going to cut back on the number of horses and maybe they're they're going to look at, uh, I mean, all the horses running here this week at, uh, at Keeneland, they would be out of action pretty much for the rest of July, the way guys run horses these days. Right. So a lot of these horses, you know, that are running this week, maybe it's not worth it to send them up just for a single race, especially if you don't even know the race is going to fill. Right. Um, yeah, you're right. And, you know, a guy like Chad Brown, he was. I called him yesterday about how, how are you uh, arranging your stable? Because right now, this moment, he has horses at Churchill and Neil Howard's old barn. I think you might have been in that barn, weren't you? I was. Or, or, were you in there with Neil? I was for a while, yes, when I first started. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so anyway, he has that full barn at Churchill, and he has a string up at Keeneland. But then he's going to regroup. Um, take a whole bunch of these who are here and and run have run at Churchill and will run this week at Keeneland and and either take them to Belmont or Saratoga and and pretty much regroup here. He won't be running much at Ellis. That's the way a lot of these guys are going to do the Coxes and the and the Asmussens. If they're not going, they're going up there to what they're taking to Saratoga. They're running them up there, and if not, this is kind of their training ground or regrouping uh, area here in Kentucky, both at. Uh, at uh, Churchill, and, and some of them even have overflow down at Ellis Park. So, um, you know, it's <laughs> the logistics of all this, it, it's just been kind of a, like a, a mega jigsaw puzzle where you got to fit a lot of pieces in, and uh, it's uh, these guys are working. I know, I, I've told you this before. 
guys like my brother and you when you were training and these guys working 18 hour days i mean sometimes i think they're insane it's just so hard and there's just so many uh, multitasking elements to being a horse trainer and uh it's overwhelming to me sometimes how, how much responsibility and uh you know just care they have to take and and so many you know with the animals and their and their clients and their health and everything else it's just it's it's i have a lot of uh a lot of respect for, for guys who train horses, men and women, of course. You know, chipping is, is one of those things that it, it sounds easy. You know, oh, well, you know, you just shipped over there and you run the horse. And, yeah, but there's right. so many things that can go wrong. And when you're moving horses and people, and see, this is the thing, is the people are generally the bigger problem than the horses. Right. And just think of all the phone calls and arrangements you got to make. You, you probably got to make 25 phone calls. You know, between the the guy who's going with him, the the shipping agent for Sally or whoever, if you're shipping them by plane, you got to deal with that. You know, uh, uh, getting them a hotel and da 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 or whatever they're going to do. It's just a yeah, yeah, and and that and and this year you have to deal with the fact that uh, you know your guys might test positive for COVID when they get there (laughs) and be out of commission. And, uh, you know, what do you do with a guy who, who, who I guess you got to test them before they leave to just to make sure and then hope that when they get there that they test negative again because um, it, it's not, especially when, when you're sending a lot of horses or a lot of guys because if a guy tests positive and he rode up on the van with three other guys in, in close proximity for, you know, the 16, 18 hours it took, well, there's a poss- a good strong possibility they're going to test positive too, and all of a sudden, you know, now you're you're, you're short help. I, I know right now in Saratoga, they're they're really struggling to find help. It's it's a it's a, a bigger struggle than it usually is. And uh, I've had yeah. a, a couple people call me and and say, you know, do you know anybody? Can you recommend anybody? Do you you know? You got any ideas? And um, and uh, unfortunately, I don't. I don't. I don't have any ideas. But um, it, it's it's just an added layer of of torture to it. For, That's what I'm talking about. The it's, layers. The yeah. the layers of all of it. Yeah, it's just uh, it's nonstop. Yeah, you know, these guys are up at four thirty in the morning. They're getting phone calls, that, or they got to go out to eat with their clients till eight thirty at night. You know, stuff like that. I mean, we all choose to do it, and it, it's a rewarding business in that. When you're winning and you're doing well, it, it's well, obviously, financially, but it's a challenge because you're, most jobs, you just go in, you do your work, and then you're done. And this, and we keep score here. And winning is, is something that, that is, um, you know, it, it's part of the allure of, of, of being a trainer. And the little things um, are really the, the problems, the, when you're going to ship and and you're you're loading everything in a torrential rainstorm, so yeah. when you get there, your 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 tack all has started to get moldy already, or yeah. um, you know things like um, uh, your two your grooms uh, you know disappear and 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 don't tell you. Oh yeah, by the way, we're not going. Uh, we're, we're going to work for so and so. As you're, you know, loading the horses, getting ready to go, and, and suddenly you have nine, ten horses that don't have grooms where you're headed to. Um, 
You know, there, there's a million, there's a million things that can go wrong, and the COVID really kind of adds a, a complete unknown. Especially being that you can test positive without showing symptoms, and it's a, uh, it's it's definitely going to be a. a a different me. I think they're going to struggle a little bit up there. I think five days a week. They're struggling right now with four days a week. And five days a week, I don't know that they're going to get enough participation from from out of yeah, town. Yeah, I don't either. And but, it, but, you know, just, just, just from our perspective as, as a writer or as a fan or anything, it's just not the same at a place like Saratoga or Del Mar or Keeneland to not have the fans. I mean, I know it's it's better than nothing, but it's just not going to be quite the same. No, it's not. I mean, you know, TV coverage of, of Saratoga or Keeneland, they often are panning over the crowd because that's the one, uh, you know, the, these are the, the, the one meets that are the, the group of meets, Delmar, Saratoga, Keeneland, where it looks filled and it looks like people are having fun and, and there, there's a yeah. lot of people there. And, and to see, like, the pan shot up the the Saratoga grandstand and and uh, having it be empty. It, I mean, you see that at Churchill in, on a on a Wednesday afternoon and 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 uh, you know in, in June when it's ninety four degrees and everybody's inside. Yeah, you, you look and, and it looks kind of like that. But Saratoga never looks like that. It ever ever right. and, and uh, it, it'll definitely be a, a different uh, a different meet and. Uh, uh, you know, I hope, like I said, sometimes in this business, when you when you talk critically about something and and you're bringing up points that may not be positive, people think you're rooting against a certain thing, like you're wanting it to happen, and and that's not true. I, I mean, I want the meet to be great. I want it to be good races, full races, exciting races. I want people to bet on them, and and I want it to be a a success, but. There's so many factors this year that seem to be working against against that, and uh, yeah. it's just uh, it's just like you said. It, this year has been we're talking about Keeneland in July, and it, and it, I said before when was, Roberto was on, I said you know Keeneland July used to be a sale, <laughs> and uh, now Keeneland July is a five day meet. So yeah, I had to look that up. Do you know the last time they had that select yearly? They they ran it from. Uh, 1943, maybe 1944, something like that. So, what year? You know, it seems like just a couple of years ago, but it's not. The last time they had that July select sale, do you know what year that was? Let me guess. You're, you're, you're giving me a hint, but um, so I'll probably go back further than I would have if I hadn't. But 2000? 2002. 2002. If if you hadn't given me a hint, I probably would have just said 2007, 2008. Yeah, yeah. So it's been 18 years. So because I ended up writing when I wrote about something that uh, it's you know for 60 years July was a fairly busy month. You know, not the last 18 years, and now here we are actually racing. So it's uh, you know it's supposed to it's, speaking of, of trying to not be negative, which you know you and I would not, you and I wouldn't be you know constructively critical, as it were, if we didn't care about this game as much as we do. I've done this 35 years. I mean, of course I care about it. So, but I, I, as a kind of a joke, our friend Norm Cassie, uh, I put yesterday morning, I, I pasted uh, the 
forecast for this week, and it has rain in the forecast Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday <laughs> in Lexington. And so he gave me the De- Debbie Downer uh, meme, and I'm like, dude, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just letting people know. So yeah, yeah. You don't, so. you don't actually work for the National Weather Service. No, I do not. Uh, you know, nor can I control. No, nor can I even control it. So yeah. You know, I, I was talking to our, our mutual friend Kim Shipke the other day, and she pointed out something that, that actually is something you don't think about. But she said, how insanely hot is it going to be in the grandstand, being that it's so hot there now in Kentucky at this time of the year, and the grandstand faces the sun? Yeah. And it's not nearly a big of a factor as it you know in April or, or October as it would be now, and and I, I didn't even think about that. And I was, man, those seats are going to be scorching hot. Oh yeah, especially you know that time of day. It, you know, I, I'm so used to having been there so many times as to to the uh, nuances of the sun, and the later in the day, the more it's in your face. And I I've spent many an April or October day sweating like profusely. And when they're running the feature races, because they're, they're running, you're looking right into the sun, and uh, that's what I was thinking when they even when they were dreaming up this meet uh, is how hot is it going to be in that grandstand? So uh, yeah, she was right. And Shipke, I haven't heard I haven't heard about her for a long time. Yeah, she's not really involved in the racing game anymore. Well, her dad was right. Is he still around or? Yes, yes, her dad was. Well, strength and honor was kind of a. He, he was a tough one to, uh, to 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 get another one as good as him. That that was one tough horse, man. That strength and honor. Let me look him up. He he was. Uh, I think he won ten of twenty two, and he had so many issues. He is the like the poster child of. Uh, of what horse can overcome if you just, and I'm not patting myself on the back or anything, but, uh, you know, Kim was patient enough to give him the time when he needed it for pretty much every year. He needed time off for, for some surgery or, or, or other. He had an issue. He had a knee surgery, he had an issue with his hock. He had, he had more throat surgeries than, than I thought was possible to have. And, and actually the last time he went to Rude and Riddle, Dr. Embertson's comment was, he he would get his uh, palate. We would do a laser surgery on his palate, and he would flip his palate. And he said, "There's just not enough palate to laze anymore. This is it. You know, the, he he's uh, we we can't we can't help him anymore." And um, you know, Kim was you know she retired him, of course. And uh, he was yeah, you retired him off a win under under the late Garrett Gomez, November twenty fifth, two thousand five. And the distorted humor stakes. That's right. He got a 106 buyer. But he, that wasn't his career best. He, one day in uh, April of 2004, it had to be opening day, ridden by Craig Peretti, got a 112 buyer. Is it 112? Yeah. 100, uh, that was an allowance race. I remember beat a horse named Tomahawk was the was the favorite uh, in that race. He, yeah, he must not have hit the board because he wasn't top three. Yeah. Um, I remember, <laughs> It was funny to talk about it. Um, he, he had come off of a really poor performance. And, of course, this was happened a long time ago. My memory is, is not as good as it used to be. But I remember he had come off a really poor performance and off a layoff. And we ran him down at Gulfstream. And I think we ran him for optional 80000 And And um, 
he Perrette rode him and he won pretty easy. And Scott Lake showed me he had a claim slip um, filled out for the horse. And he saw him walking in. And, and the way he walked was, uh, if a horse, you, you remember the old uh, the, the old show uh, Sanford and Son? He, yeah. he, he walked like Fred Sanford. I mean, <laughs> I remember I used to sit in my office and watch him walk down the shed row. And here's a horse that can run 112 buyer, right? And he walked so, like, awkwardly. And I, I used to remember thinking to myself, this: if you think you're smart, dummy, you know, if that horse had been brought out for you at a sale, you wouldn't even walk. <laughs> you wouldn't have given him three seconds. You'd have turned around and said, no, 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 no thank you. I'll put him back. And, and he's, he's probably the fastest horse I ever trained. And, and uh, it just goes to show you that horses can come in any way, shape, or form. And horses can overcome a lot of issues. Like I said, he... He was sent to me because he was a real handful to train, and Lisa Lewis had him for Kim's father as a two-year-old in New York, and he ran once and finished third, and then had a chip coming out, knee surgery, and, you know, a horse that kind of walks real wide and, and, and has a knee surgery at two and has a throat that's not that great, I mean... You know, the the prudent thing generally is to think, well, you know, this horse is not going to wind up being a, a horse that wins stake races and runs 112 buyers. And I, I think Kim got him. I think Kim's dad gave gave him to her and, and she sent him to me and we had him down at the fairgrounds. He came in and he had rehabbed fine and he was a real stocky horse. He was very, very blocky. And... uh I remember the first day we sent him to the track, we, we tranked him a little bit, and he ran off the wrong way on the rail at the fairgrounds with the with my, with my assistant, Scott Cole, who was a big, you know, for an exercise rider, was a big, strong, you know, kind of a cowboy. And he ran off three, he went around there three times the wrong way, right in the middle of, of, of training. And, and uh, he, 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 he got guilt. He got gelded later that afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Kim got mad at me, and I said, Kim, he's banned if we don't geld him. <laughs> he's been at the track yeah. one day, and he's already banned if, if we don't uh, take care of that. And uh, as it turns out, it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to him. And, and uh, he, he won a bunch of races, and uh, God, he, he, was, yeah, he, was he, he was a talented nine for 20, horse. Nine for 22, won the distorted humor twice at Churchill. I'm wondering though. You say he walks kind of funny. Would he pass the vet now? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like they've gotten a little more stricter, and you, you know, you hear the the occasional complaint, especially around the Breeders' Cup, et cetera, uh, as the horses being the, the vet saying, "No, no, no, no." And you say, "But that's the way he walks normally." I mean, no. do you think he would have passed? Did he ever get scratched or anything like that? For the way no, he no, no one. He, he never was scratched. And you know, the funny thing was that. Um, he he was he would hit the ground like a ton of bricks, but he stayed pretty sound. Most of his issues as he got older were um, were his, was his throat, was his breathing. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll if you look at his PPs, you know you'll see every once in a while he'll he'll throw in a, a terrible race where you're just, you know, yeah, he just yeah totally he got stopped. drubbed in the Mister Pro- he got drubbed in the Mister Prospector in January of '05, and then right back in the su- in the Super Stakes at Tampa. Must have been the Super Bowl down there that year. Uh, he was nowhere to be found either. Yeah, every every once in a while he just would he just would not show up. But uh, yeah, 
but he was a good horse and he he didn't owe he didn't owe me anything uh, i was i was happy to train him and and uh and kim was easy to train for she really was uh i wish all owners would were that easy but um you know training horses is a is a it's it's a difficult task it, it's so much there's so much more to it than just training the horse the horse part is is the easy part in so many ways and and uh Oh, yeah. And these days, the, the rules have gotten to be, there's so many rules. And I'm not saying that some of them aren't well intended, but they make it very, very difficult um, to do your job without, you know, having to to figure out, um, it, it's almost, uh, you know, when they were talking about having to get the um out in Santa Anita you're having to get uh approved to have workouts i said you know someone like the chief would have never ever made it because he he would change his mind i can't tell you how many times we would get a horse ready to work we would put all bandages we put vet wrap we'd get him rubbed down with beagle oil we'd get him you know we'd jog him and put it had put him in ice and everything and the jockey would come over and get on him and they'd they'd head out to the track and then 5 minutes later the jock would come back and you know, he had the bewildered look of, uh, it was usually John Luke. And uh, uh, Chief said, uh, just turn him out in the paddock. He doesn't want to work him today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or sometimes they'd go out there in polos and, and they'd come back huffing and puffing and say, well, what happened? You were supposed to jog. And he said, no, nah, Chief changed his mind. He, he had me breathe three quarters, you know? So it was so much more of a done, you know, uh, training was was done with feel as opposed to, just uh of having a, a a chart and and this is the way it's going to go and yeah and, and certainly was a was a different way of, of doing things but um and, and that's not to criticize any way anyone's way of doing things because like there's a million different ways to win um mm-hmm. and that that's never been uh you know you, you look at the kentucky derby results and you look at the the, the vastly different ways that the winners um, were trained and, and where they came from. And and you can see, you know, so many times, like we said, the, the best horse doesn't always win, and especially in the Kentucky Derby because there's so many other factors and so many other things. But it, it's kind of a microcosm of how the West Coast guys trained horses versus the East Coast guys versus guys, uh, in, in, uh, you know, who, who have uh, – uh, a European background who, who who trained you know a lot differently and, and uh, than than all of us, but um, you know it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing it really is and and uh, I mean not even talking about you know the issues that of of medication and things like that which have become um, you know super people are super sensitive to it now. And you have the deal with Baffert, which, and everyone's kind of like poo-pooing his excuse. But the fact of the matter is, it's probably a, a, a plausible excuse because no one would ever use that lidocaine as um, th- there's no real. It just there's no one would do that. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make any sense. And I was telling somebody when this first happened, the only positive I ever heard of for lidocaine was Steve Penrod, I believe, had got a positive for it. And what had happened was his, his groom had gone to the to the store and the horse had had some cracked heels and what they were using 
wasn't working and he got something from the store and and you know he didn't know it it had lidocaine in it and and that's how he he got a positive test for that i, I believe that now that was about 20 years ago too and you know steve penrod would be like the last guy in the world you'd ever think would uh right would, that's right i've been in this business 35 years one of my first assignments in back in about 87 or 88 when i was still writing for the baltimore sun in maryland was charlie hadry had a cocaine positive I mean, you know, this, this is the, you talk about the poster child for a guy who, would, you know, he doesn't know what cocaine is, you know, or a metabolite of cocaine, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and this is, this goes to the point, which you and I have talked about more than once, it, it, the jaywalkers are going to jail and the, and the murderers are running around, you know, winning all the money and all the races. Yeah, you know, you know so, the problem I have with Baffert is that he just has too many issues. And most of these issues are not like smoking gun, you know, uh, terrible uh, class one drugs. They're 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 mostly issues of um, mistakes and pushing things. The envelope? You think they, they push the envelope? He maybe maybe push the envelope, but but there's just too many of them, and and I, that's the problem I have with him. And I mean, and I'll stand here and say I, I don't think that he gave his horses lidocaine for any particular reason. And and certainly the the filly came back and ran way 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 better <laughs> next to her with without it. But um, and, and, the, and the, well, Jay, Jay Pridman, he he addressed that point uh, in a story that was in I think Monday. He put it online Monday. And Jimmy Barnes apparently this is according to the lawyer in Lexington, W. Craig Robertson the third out of Lexington, who's representing Bob, said that Jimmy Barnes or he said an employee. I don't think he named them, but it was easy to figure out. Uh, was suffering uh, pain from uh, his, a broken pelvis, and we know Jimmy broke his pelvis back in 2017, and apparently he had something on his hands. He had a patch, and the, the patch touched his hands. The hand touched the tongue tie, and and you know it came like 13 trillionths of a... Right. That's what the test can You know, it, it's just such a negligible amount. It's, it's absurd. You know, so in defense of Bob and... and the Charlie Hadrys of the world, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff you're talking about. But nonetheless, I hear what you're saying in terms of the the number of times that he has had a positive that is, you know, thrown up the red flag. It, it, it is. And, and the, the thing is that it's not easily um, explained. And I think, I mean, we have about two minutes in the show, but not to get into another topic, but I think one of the problems we have in the industry is that we we understand and we we say, well, you know, we know this is really not a big deal, but it looks like a big deal when it's when it's put out to the general public and when the same guy keeps having things, and, and even if uh, I, I don't think Justify was given any, any legal drug, at least one that tested, and uh, you know, the one that he got the scopolamine and, and, and uh, it just is... Uh, there's too many of them. You know, every time it, it comes up, it, it's an issue. And you know, the the industry's done a, a very weak job in, in educating. And and honestly, I'm not even sure that we're doing a good job determining what levels should be positive or should not be positive. I, I don't know, but I, I'm not. Uh, you know, that's that's a, that's a that's a topic for another day. But um, I agree with you. I, I think there should be threshold levels, yeah. and they should not be disclosed to the to the horsemen or just you know as a journalist chuck you know i'm the one who has to report objectively on anything like this that comes out 
And I hate the fact that when I write a story, here's what here's what the reader sees: drugs, horse racing. That's all they see: drugs and horse racing. You know, even even if you go on and explain it as best you can, and uh, you know this this COVID thing blew the the borrow and service thing off the off the news. Yeah, just think it would have been a slow news month. How, how much under the gun we would have been in the game with that coming on the heels of all the Santa Anita breakdown stuff. So we kind of got lucky in that respect. But you know, this is anyway. I'm talking in circles. <laughs> well, this is going in circles, so that that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do, Marty. I, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you're going to be out of Keeneland all week. Well, no, we, uh, they told us, come on out, you media are welcome. And then on Thursday, I got a phone call. They're, they're, not, they're only letting the TVG people. Really? Um, which is fine, you know. Yeah. Like I told Amy Gregory, she's the head of the uh, publicity at, at Keelan. I'm not mad. I, you guys got to do what you got to do. So, you know, uh, the fewer people, probably the better. Save gas. Marty, thank you. Appreciate it. And um, we got to wrap up, and I appreciate Roberto Rodriguez being on, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. It's the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon.